0: You'd be welcome to join us. We'll be sure to save a seat for you. Now, here's this week's sermon. Scripture reading this morning comes from Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You may be seated. Well, the week's already started off real nice uh, with Alex being baptized this morning, as Gary announced. So we're happy for him and for his family. And now I want you to say it like you actually mean it this week, okay? God is good. And all the time. That's a lot better, a lot better than last week. Um, Now, I've got a bone to pick with this church, and I'm going to pick it. I had about 33 people say to me this morning, it's your wife's birthday, you treat her good. (laughs) Now, first of all, what makes you think that I didn't know it was her birthday? And secondly, what makes you think that I am not going to treat her good? These are things that are kind of circling in my mind. But anyway, uh, we we sang happy birthday to her on the way to church and gave her her presents Friday evening because I'm one of those guys when you buy a present from someone, I got to give it to you right then. People are like, why do you wait till the last minute? because I'm not good at keeping it. i like, I want you to have it right now. So, no, we've, we've had a good weekend, and um, I haven't forgot, and I'm treating her good, okay? We use a, f- a turn of phrase uh, on occasion. We'll say, oh, I'm dying, and then we'll add something to it, you know. Uh, like, for example, oh, I'm dying to see Top Gun 2. Some of you have already seen it, and I've heard how great a movie it is, but I haven't seen it yet, but I'm dying to see it. Uh, Something else I'm dying to do, I'm dying to eat at The Grind, that restaurant down in what, Martin, Tennessee. Someone put a picture on the internet about that and they have a good mess of macaroni and cheese. I like macaroni and cheese. I don't know a person that doesn't and I probably wouldn't trust them if I ever met them. But when we say that, I'm dying to and then whatever it may be, we're expressing not only a desire but an intention. The desire is I want to see that movie, I want to eat at that restaurant. And I have the intention of seeing that movie and eating at that restaurant. But how many of us have ever said, I'm dying to live? When you think about it from a Christian perspective, that's exactly what we're to do. We're to die to live. And every corresponding desire that a person has, there's something that's there to fulfill that desire. When you're hungry, you eat food. When you're thirsty, you drink something. Now, my favorite line that I have probably quoted to the point of nausea to you all uh, is from C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity. He said, if I find in me a desire that nothing on this earth can satisfy, it only means that I am made for another world. Think about that. That's pretty deep thought when you think about it. Sometimes in the name of something greater, people are willing to risk dying. And there's a story of a federal officer in the Battle of Fredericksburg. He was ordered to bring some troops to the front, but he would be exposed to heavy fire. And he wrote this, the distance was about 400 yards. I can truthfully say that in that moment, I gave my life up. I do not expect every again. He says every in his book. That's probably how they sounded back then, every again, I do not expect ever again to face death more certainly than I thought I did then. It did not seem possible that I could go through that fire and return life. One may ask how such dangers can be faced. The answer is, there are many things more to be feared than death. Cowardice and failure of duty with me were some of them. Reputation and duty were the holding forces, I said to myself, this duty, I'll trust in God and do it. If I fall, I cannot die better. Without the help and stimulus of that trust, I could not have done it, for I doubt if any man was ever more keenly susceptible to danger than I. The atmosphere seemed surcharged with the most startling and frightful things, deaths, wounds, and appalling destruction everywhere. But yet he did just what he was ordered to do, and he actually lived to tell the tale. But he never thought so much about himself, though he lingered on it for a second, but he knew what had to be done and the risk that came with it. So, to become a Christian in the hope of eternal life, which may sound odd to some people, but when you think about it, the entirety of our faith hinges around one historical event, that Jesus of Nazareth was crucified on the cross, And in those days when a person was crucified, it's because they had committed a capital offense. And so this was probably not only the most horrific form of physical suffering, but it was also the most embarrassing form because it said something about the person who was being crucified. But our Lord was crucified on that cross, His body taken by His disciples and buried. And then three days later on Sunday, He rose from the grave. If you would have asked a Christian in the first century, what is salvation? Their answer may have differed a little bit from ours. If I were to ask you, what does it mean to be saved? You would say, well, I'm saved from sin. And that's true. I think in the first century, they probably would have said eternal life. We don't have to die that once life ends, that isn't the end of everything. So to have that hope of eternal life, we have to first die to ourselves. When that soldier decided to obey the orders he was given and to take his run across that field, he had to disregard every ounce of care for his own self. And you know, that's hard for us to do. Not a lot of us like to deny ourselves. We're kind of like the writer of Ecclesiastes who wrote, I have denied myself no pleasure. And we like to do that as well. We love all the luxuries and the pleasures that this world has to offer. And it's rare, unless it just fits in with our taste, that we are willing to deny ourselves. But Jesus said to them, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it if a man, if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? That's a pretty good question. You know, when you think about when people go on diets, and there's a a whole bunch of them out there. There's the Mediterranean diet, the Atkins diet, uh, have y'all heard about the Dolly Parton diet? So this guy, Joe, he was trying all these diets, and he wasn't having any success. Atkins, Mediterranean, whatever they are. And someone told him about the Dolly Parton diet. So he took a trip out to Dollywood and went to a place they had there that told about this diet, and then when he got back, someone said, Hey, Joe Jolene, Joe." All right. Yeah. Johnny, will I get a red card for that one? Yellow? Okay. He red carded me for my joke last week, so anyway. Well, when people go on diets, they're essentially changing their habits and they're denying themselves something. You know, uh, it, it could be sugar, it could be soft drinks, it could be a multitude of things. Athletes often deny themselves relative ease and comfort in training for their sport. I don't know anybody who loves getting up early of the morning, except my rooster and the hens, to go and do a whole bunch of noise making and running and conditioning and all this stuff. But when you have goals, when you're trying to do something, you realize that there are some things that you're going to sacrifice. And so you deny yourself whatever ease and comfort there is in order to gain that goal. So the disciple of Jesus, as you and I are, we are to deny ourselves... And lose our lives because whatever could be obtained in this life isn't worth it if we lose our own souls. I love the perspective of Paul. If you've got your Bibles, look at Acts chapter 20. I really love the way that he puts this. Acts chapter 20, verses 22 through 24. Paul has just addressed the Ephesian elders, and he's aware, by revelation of the Spirit, what awaits him. Acts chapter 20, beginning verse 22. And see now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying, that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So the Holy Spirit is telling Paul, as you go through these cities, there's going to be chains and tribulation. Now, I don't know about you, but I, when I see a warning sign saying that, you know, road closed or, you know, construction ahead or whatever, you make a decision whether or not you're going to proceed. And if you are, how to proceed cautiously. Uh, there's a place over in Bowling Green where we were going to a friend's house and it was on a rainy evening and we were taking the back roads to get there. And we got to one part and a part of the road kind of went down, but the part that went down, there was a creek. But because it had been raining that day, the water levels rose. And would you believe that there are a lot of people who look at that and they go, I think I can cross that. And then you have EMS called out to save those knuckleheads. But they had that sign right there and it said, you know, road closed due to rising water. And I'm looking right at it and I'm like, yep, we're going to turn around. Right? It'd just be foolish to go forward. But Paul knows from the Holy Spirit that where he is about to go There's going to be trouble. But the one thing that he says, I do not count my life dear to myself. That's something. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, for Thee. We sing, but do we actually mean it? I love being able to have conversations with Johnny Miller. It's a blessing to my life. And and he and I have a similar take on life, and and that is, Lord, use me up while I'm here, and once you're done with me, just bring me on home. That's how I feel about life. Use me up while I'm here, but when you're done with me, bring me on home. I don't want to sit and rot. I'd just rather go on to be with the Lord. But this life that I'm living, it's really His to do with as He sees fit. As He sees fit, use that life. Wherever you want me to be, whatever you want me to do, and I pray that I do it faithfully. I am not sinless. I am not without temptation and error, much to the contrary. But I do love the Lord, and I want to serve Him as best as I can. So, okay, what are some ways that we can deny ourselves? If you got your Bible, I really want you to look at these passages with me, okay? Go to Matthew chapter 5. If you're in Acts, just take a left, and you'll get to Matthew And we're going to look at a few passages, so we're going to be thumbing through a few scriptures if you, if you want to keep up. Matthew chapter 5, and let's look at verses 43 through 47. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 47. If you have a Bible similar to mine, those words are in red. If you've always wondered, why, did it, why are there red words and black words? The red words are meant to indicate this is when Jesus is speaking. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brethren in the marketplace, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. One way I can deny myself is to give up hate or animosity towards others. It's easy if I were to say, well, they said this to me and I clap back with that. And you probably go, well, I'd have done much worse. But what if I just remain silent or don't engage at all? I don't think there's a person alive in here who would say, well, I, I hate someone. Uh, we would probably never claim that. But how do you view others? What do you wish for them? You know, we look at the word hate and we go, well, I don't hate anybody. So that doesn't apply to me. Uh, it's not necessarily an emotion that you may feel towards a person, but intentions you have or actions that you will take, have taken, or might take. I can deny myself by praying for enemies and blessing those who curse me. Now, I point this out because I realize I'm not the, I don't think I have many enemies, but the people that I probably ought to pray for or people that sometimes I just don't. Now, the notion of blessing and cursing, we think, well, if a person cusses at you, that's what we think by cursing. That's not at all what's meant here. Uh, in the ancient world, people would pronounce curses uh, on one another. And that type of language wasn't to be used by the Christian. You know, someone may say, may your... May your harvest be little and your crops wither, you know, or something to that kin. So when somebody curses you or when they speak ill of you, bless them. That's hard to do. And then we're told to go above and beyond. For if you love those who love you, verse 46, what reward do you have? Tax collectors do that. If you greet those who greet you, what reward do you have? Tax collectors do that too. Love those who don't love you. Greet those who may not like you. I struggle with that too. If I know someone doesn't care much for me, I'll just avoid them. Save them the trouble. But to go out of your way to greet them, to be like Jesus, that's different living. Living. Okay, so I can deny myself that way. Let's look up another one. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verse, we'll start at 42. I love hearing that sound. I'm going to start doing this more often. It sounds like it's raining in here, but those are, that's the sound of Bible pages turning. I, I'm going to do that more often now. I, I've, I've spoiled myself and all of us with these PowerPoints, but we're going, we're going to do it this way. Okay, Mark chapter 10, verse 42. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles, they lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. I can deny myself by giving up prestige. Rather than being served, I serve. Uh, the way that rulers yield authority Jesus says don't be like that they lord it over them but if you want to be and I don't you know people talk about leadership and and I I say we shouldn't think in those terms at least not in the church Uh, you know uh, if anything we should think of servanthood you know We think of preachers and elders and deacons and sometimes Bible teachers and highly esteemed Christians. We think of them as leaders. Now, we ought to just be servants. Serving the body of Christ, serving the Lord, serving everyone we come in contact with. This whole notion of, well, he's in a position of leadership. No, he's in a position of service. That's the biblical way we ought to look at it. So instead of looking at things like, ah, I've got the power, I've got the authority, that's the wrong way to go about it. That's desiring prestige, and we shouldn't want that. Rather, we should seek to serve. Think about it, if you looked at your job that way, those of you that are teachers, what if you thought, I'm serving the Lord by serving these children? Those of you that are nurses, rather than having to deal with the charge nurse and listen to them boss you around and then the doctors who, some of them are 12 years old and act like they're a lot smarter than you, what if you go, I'm just serving these patients? I think if we looked at life as service rather than as leading or, 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 or uh, managing or any other thing, I, I think it gives it a whole lot of meaning. I find a lot of meaning in service. Someone had asked me not too long ago, you know, how do you deal with fill in the blank? And it was was a personal issue. And I told him, I said, one of the things that helps me the most is to find someone else to serve. Because I get out of my own head and I quit worrying about my own problems and whatever it is, that's stressing me out. And when there's somebody else to serve, it really grounds me and it helps me a lot. I said, no, I may not do everybody that way, but it does me to serve. So I can give up hate, I can give up prestige. Look at Romans chapter 12, will be our next one. Another way we, you and I, can deny ourselves. Romans chapter 12 is one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture, for one reason. And that is, it challenged me, challenges me at portions to be more like Jesus than myself. Romans chapter 12, let's look at uh, verses... 19 and 20. Romans 12, verses 19 and 20. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Man, we don't like that. You know, it's like when we were little kids. Those of you that have siblings understand this. Your sibling hits you, what are you going to do? you going to hit them back harder, aren't you? And before too long, you're in a competition to see who can hit the hardest. And before too long, one of you is crying and the other one's going, shh, shh, mom's going to hear you, shh, shh. You're fine, you're fine, right? That's our nature. We're, we're wired. If you do X to me, I'm going to do Y to you. I'm a nice person, but if you do this, then I'm going to get you back. Or if, you know? But rather than that response, and again, I want you to know every single one of these that I'm pointing out, these are things that time to time I struggle with. That's why I've chosen them, because it's a little more personal. To not retaliate. So give up hate, give up prestige, give up revenge. Philippians chapter 2 will be our next one. And then from there, uh, we'll stay in chapter 2 for the last one, and I'll move on. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Philippians 2, verse 3 Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. A lot of marriages work a particular way that is really odd to me and probably to you too. Usually, one or the other tries to see, well, I did it last time, you do it now. Or, if she'll do this, then I'll do that. It's almost a hostage situation. And I think that's a wrong way to live in a marriage, but if you're happy with it, go right ahead. I just don't recommend it. Because it's all about keeping score. And marriage shouldn't be about keeping score. What if instead it was about I'm gonna outlove her or him as much as they love it? So when they love me, I'm gonna try to outlove them. They do this for me, I'm gonna do that for them. I do that for them, they do this for me. And it it's a competition of love as a opposed to keeping score of, well, whose job is it next? Or, you know, manipulating the marriage so that someone gets their way. Well, if we treated everybody like this, if we esteemed other people better than ourselves, if we looked out for the interests of others, and that doesn't mean being nosy or butting into people's affairs. But as you know, then you can, okay, I can do this for them and I'll do this for them. I can give up being first. That's how I can deny myself. I can put others, and there are some of you that do that. I would name names, but I'd probably get spanked. So I won't say Marilyn's name, Thornton. By the way, I'm going to need bodyguards after this. Uh, But no, there are some of our sisters and brothers that are that way. They're always looking out for others. Even when we want to look out for them, they want to look out for others. They don't want to be looked after because they have that mindset of, I'm not first. But some of us like being first. One of the things I try to do whenever there's a church potluck is I try to be last. Or if I am first, I'm first to the dessert table. You see, I was brought up and I was taught you're not supposed to eat dessert because you spoil your supper. Well, now that I'm an adult, I don't have to follow that rule anymore. I'll eat dessert first, and then I will have my supper. So whenever there's church, go ahead first, preacher. No, y'all go ahead. Oh, come on, we can't start without you. I'm going to head straight to the dessert table. Because usually by the time if I wait, I get there, what I like is gone. That's an that's a, that's a insider tip for the rest of you. Give up being first. Oh, verse 14 in the same chapter. Really going to get a lot of us. Going to get me especially do all things without complaining and disputing. Ouch. Does anybody in here complain? I won't ask for you to raise your hand. Because then we'd look like we're lifting holy hands. Everybody's hand would be raised, probably. Complain. I have a black belt in complaining. I'm pretty good at it, unfortunately. So, okay, these are different ways that we can die to ourselves, that we can deny ourselves. It's not easy to do, but when if you just pick out one thing, go, what do I need to deny myself in order to glorify God and to be the kind of person who wants to have this eternal life that He promises? Okay, so first we die to ourselves. Secondly, we have to die to sin. In Colossians, Paul writes, Therefore, put to death your members which are on earth fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Ephesians 2:1 says that we were dead in sin before we obeyed the gospel, but now we're to die to sin. Now here's something that I found interesting. When the Standard Oil Company began to refine petroleum, there was this black substance that was a byproduct that nobody knew what to do with. So it, it, was, it was black, sticky, and stinky, and it couldn't be buried because it would just find its way to the surface again. It couldn't be burned because the smoke and the stench uh, would simply keep people from breathing anywhere near it. If that byproduct was drained into a river, all the fish would die. So standard oil offered a large reward to anyone who could come up with a solution to get rid of it. And one day a chemist went to Mr. Rockefeller's office and showed him a brick made from a cloudy white substance. It had no smell or other offensive quality. And as a matter of fact, the scientist showed Mr. Rockefeller a long list of useful purposes that this black, sticky, stinky residue had. That substance is called paraffin. And the way they make it is they refine it and make something useful and non-offensive from it. Now, we being dead in our trespasses before the sacrifice of God and our obedience to the gospel, that's about how we are. But obviously after Christ, it's different. When we put on Jesus, He refines us, cleans us up from all that nastiness. And, impurity, and we start changing to be of a higher quality as to how we live our lives, as to how we treat our neighbors, as to how we love God. In short, we become useful rather than something needing to be discarded. I have to die to myself. I have to die to sin. Maybe there's just one sin in my life. Not, to, not that there's only one sin, but maybe out of the temptations and sins that I have. Maybe there's one and I go, I'm going to focus on that. I'm going to do better at that and work at it and, and track your progress. See, if you, once you make the commitment and you start focusing on that one temptation, that one sin, getting rid of it, overcoming it, uh, you go, how am I making progress? And by all means, pray about that too. It's not, our, it, it is a matter of willpower, but it's also a matter of the grace of God helping us out. So I have to die to myself, I have to die to sin, but the starting point is I have to die with Christ. Or do you not know that as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. But here's the problem. I read a story. It was in the early 1900s. There were some African-American sharecroppers down in the South. And one of them was being interviewed by a local newspaper. And they lived in rather poor conditions. the interviewer asked him, he said, you know, what are your thoughts about the Emancipation Proclamation that Lincoln signed not many decades ago? The gentleman replied, he said, I'd heard about it, but nothing really changed for us. And so the interviewer wrote his article about this and he said, you know, this man that decades ago was freed from slavery doesn't know that he's free. He is still living as if he were a slave. And most of you know that sharecroppers sometimes were treated like that depending on where they were and whose farmland they tended. And some of us as Christians, though we've been freed from sin, we still like we're slaves to it. But Paul reminds us we're not. We don't have to live that way to say, oh, I have no control. It's just me. I just can't overcome it. It's, you know. No, we've been freed from sin. A preacher's wife had passed away after a terminal illness. But before she died, she told her husband, she said, I want you to preach my funeral. She said, you've been my preacher for so long. Do me this one final kindness. As hard as it was for him to do so, it was easy for him to talk about how great of a Christian woman, wife and mother she'd been. When they arrived at the graveside, rather than being seated as the grieving are, he stood as his children and grandchildren and other families sat and everyone came in. He said to them, he said, this is the second time I'm going to bury my wife. But it's because of the first time that I buried her with Jesus that I can feel hopeful about burying her in this ground the second time. So my question to you this morning, have you been buried with Jesus? Alex was this morning. That's a great way to start the week. And if you're thinking about it or have thought about it, what's holding you back? Why don't you just do it? If you have faith that Jesus is God's son and are willing to confess that, Be buried with the Lord. Die with Jesus. Die to sin. Die to yourself. Because we're dying to live. We desire it. We intend to do it. But we actually have to die in order to live to self, to sin, and with Christ. So if you've not done it, do so. You can do so this morning. You can, if you don't want to do it in front of the crowd, I understand. Some people don't like that, and that's all right. But we will attend to that need. We will help you if you need to study more. Any questions you have, however we can serve you, just let us know. But if you wish to respond in obedience this morning, come to the front as we stand and as we sing.